Escape Pod 413 September 12, 2013 Why I Left Harry's All Night Hamburgers by Lawrence Watervins Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm your host and editor, Norm Sherman. This week's story is Why I Left Harry's All Night Hamburgers by Lawrence Watt Evans. Lawrence Watt Evans is the award-winning author of over 40 novels and more than 100 short stories in the fields of fantasy, science fiction, and horror. He lives in Tacoma Park, Maryland with his wife and an overweight cat. Find out more about Lawrence and his work at www.watt-evans.com. Why I Left Harry's All Night Hamburgers won the Hugo Award for Best Short Story in 1988 and was nominated for the Nebula Award in 1987. The story is read to you by Jonathan Hawkins. Jonathan's a public school teacher in Madison, Wisconsin, where he once spent a decade or so introducing Greek and Norse myth to middle schoolers. Now teaching computer tech, he's reading here on Escape Pod to keep in practice until his toddler and the new infant are ready to hear all about Loki, Artemis, and Papa Cthulhu. So get ready to stay up with the late crowd, because it's story time. Why I Left Harry's All Night Hamburgers by Lawrence Watt Evans Harry's was a nice place, probably still is. I haven't been back lately. It's a couple miles off I-79, a few exits north of Charleston, near a place called Sutton. Used to do a pretty fair amount of business until they finished building the interstate out from Charleston and made it worthwhile for some fast food joints to move in right next to the Cloverleaf. Nobody wanted to drive the extra miles to Harry's after that. Folks used to wonder how old Harry stayed in business, as a matter of fact. But he did all right, even without the interstate trade. I found that out when I worked there. Why did I work there instead of at one of the fast food joints? because my folks lived in a little house just around the corner from Harry's, out in the middle of nowhere. Not in Sutton itself, just out there on the road. Wasn't anything around except our house and Harry's place. He lived out back of his restaurant. That was about the only thing I could walk to in under an hour, and I didn't have a car. This is when I was 16. I needed a job, because my dad was out of work again, and if I was going to do anything, I needed my own money. Mom didn't mind my using her car so long as it came back with a full tank of gas and I didn't keep it too long. That was the rule, so I needed some work, and Harry's all-night hamburgers was the only thing within walking distance. Harry said he had all the help he needed, two cooks and two people working the counter, besides himself. The others worked days, two to a shift, and Harry did the late-night stretch all by himself. I hung out there a little, since I didn't have anywhere else, and it looked like pretty easy work. There was hardly any business, and those guys mostly sat around telling dirty jokes. So I figured it was perfect. Harry, though, said he didn't need any help. I figured that was probably true, but I wasn't going to let logic keep me out of driving my mother's car. I did some serious begging, and after I'd made his life miserable for a week or two, Harry said he'd take a chance to give me a shot, working the graveyard shift, midnight to 8 a.m., as his counterman, busboy, and janitor all in one. I talked him down to 7.30, so I could still get to school, and we had us a deal. I didn't care about school so much myself, but my parents wanted me to go, and it was a good place to see my friends, you know, meet girls and so on. So I started working at Harry's Nights, 
I showed up midnight the first night, and Harry gave me an apron and a little hat, like something from a diner in an old movie, same as he wore himself. I was supposed to wait tables and clean up, not cook, so I don't know why he wanted me to wear them. But he gave them to me, and I needed the bucks, so I put them on and pretended I didn't notice that the apron was all stiff with grease and smelled like something nasty had died on it a few weeks back. And Harry? He's a funny old guy. Looked fifty-ish as far back as I can remember. Never young, but never getting really old either, you know? Some people do that. They just seem to go on forever. Anyway, he showed me where everything was in the kitchen and back room, told me to keep busy cleaning up whatever looked like it wanted cleaning, and told me over and over again, like he was really worried that I was going to cause trouble. Don't bother the customers. Just take their orders. Bring them their food. Sure, I said. I got it. Good, he said. We get some funny guys in here at night, but they're good customers, most of them. So don't you screw up with anyone. One customer complains, one customer stiffs you for the check, and you're out of work. You got that? Then Harry went back in the kitchen, and I got a broom and swept up out front a little until a couple of truckers came in and ordered burgers and coffee. I was pretty awkward at first, but I got the hang of it after a little bit. Guys would come in, women too, one or two at a time, and they'd order something and Harry'd have it ready faster than he can say cheese practically, and they'd eat it and wipe their mouths and go use a john and drive off, and none of them said a damn thing to me except their orders, and I didn't say anything back except, yes sir, or yes ma'am, or thank you, come again. I figured they're all just truckers who didn't like the fast food places. That was what it was like at first anyway, from midnight to about 1, 1.30, but then things would slow down. Even the truckers were off the roads by then, I guess. Or they didn't want to get that far off the interstate. Or they'd all had lunch or something. Anyway, by about two that first night, I was thinking it was pretty clear why Harry didn't think he needed help on the shift, when the door opened and the little bell rang. I jumped a bit. That bell startled me, and I turned around. But then I turned back to look at Harry, because I'd seen him out of the corner of my eye, you know? And he'd got this worried look in his face, and he was watching me. He wasn't looking at the customer at all. About then I realized that the reason the bell had startled me was that I hadn't heard anyone drive up. And who the hell was going to be walking out to Harry's place at two in the morning in the West Virginia mountains? The way Harry was looking at me, I knew this must be one of those special customers he didn't want me to scare away. So I turned around and there was a short little guy in a really heavy coat, all zipped up, made of that shiny silver fabric you see race car drivers wearing cigarette ads, you know? And he had on padded ski pants of the same stuff, with pockets all over the place, and he was just putting down a hood. And he had on big, thick goggles, like he'd been out in a blizzard. But it was April, and there hadn't been any snow in weeks, and it was about 50, 60 degrees out. Well, I didn't want to blow it, so I pretended I didn't notice. I just said, Hello, sir, may I take your order? He looked at me funny and said, I suppose so. Would you like to see a menu? I said, trying to be on my best behavior. Hell, I was probably overdoing it. I thought the truckers find their own menus. I suppose so, he said again, and I handed him the menu. He looked it over, pointed to a picture of a cheeseburger that looked about as much like anything from Harry's Grill as Sly Stallone looks like me, and I wrote it down and passed the slip back to Harry, and he hissed at me, Don't bother the guy. I took the hint and went back to sweeping until the burger was up, and as I was handing the plate to the guy, there was a sound out front like a shotgun going off. And this green light flashed through the window, so I nearly dropped the thing. But I couldn't go look because the customer's digging through his pockets for money to pay for the burger. I will pay first, he said, real formal. 
I may need to depart quickly. My money may not be good here. The guy hadn't got any accent, but with that about the money, I figured he was a foreigner. So I waited, and he hauled out a handful of weird coins, and I told him, I'll need to check with the manager. He gave him the coins, and while I was taking him back to Harry, and trying to see out the window through the curtain to see where that green light came from, the door opened, and these three women came in. And where the first guy was all wrapped up like an Eskimo, these people weren't wearing anything but jeans. Women, remember? And it was only April. Hey, I was 16, so I tried real hard not to stare, and I went running back to the kitchen and tried to tell Harry what was going on. But the money and the green light and half-naked women all got tangled up, and I didn't make much sense. I told you I'd get some strange customers, Kitty said. Let's see the money. So I gave him the coins, and he said, Yeah, we'll take these, and made change. I don't know how, because the writing on the coins looked like Russian to me, and I couldn't figure out what any of them were. He gave me the change, and then looked me in the eye and says, Can you handle those women, boy? It's part of the job. I wasn't expecting them tonight, but we get strange people in here. I told you that. You think you can handle it without losing me any customers? Or do you want to call tonight and find another job? I really wanted that paycheck. I gritted my teeth and said, No problem. When you were 16, did you ever try to wait tables with six bare boobs right there in front of you? Those three were laughing and joking in some foreign language I never heard before. And I think only one of them spoke English, because she did all the ordering. I managed somehow, and by the time they left, Harry was almost smiling at me. Around 4, things slowed down again, and around 4.30 or 5, the breakfast crowd began to trickle in. But between 2 and 4, there were about half a dozen customers, I guess. I don't remember who they all were anymore. Most of them weren't that strange. But that first little guy and the three women? Them, I remember. Maybe some of the others were pretty strange, too. Maybe stranger than the first guy. But he was the first, which makes a difference. And those women, well, that's really going to make an impression on a 16-year-old, you know? It's not that they were particularly beautiful or anything, because they weren't. They were just women. And I wasn't used to seeing women with no shirts. When I got off at 7.30, I was all mixed up. I didn't know what the hell was going on. I was beginning to think I'd imagined it all. I went home and changed clothes and caught the bus to school. And what with not really having adjusted to work at nights and being tired and having to think about schoolwork, I was pretty much convinced that the whole thing had been some weird dream. So I came home, slept through until about 11, then got up and went to work again. And damn, it was almost the same, except that there weren't any half-naked women this time. The normal truckers and rest came in first, then they faded out, and the weirdos started turning up. At 16, you know, you think you can cope with anything. At least I did. So I didn't let the customers bother me, not even the ones who didn't look like they were exactly human beings to begin with. Harry got used to me being there, and I did make it a lot easier on him. So after the first couple of weeks, it was pretty much settled that I could stay on for as long as I liked. It was fun, really, seeing just what would turn up there and order a burger. I think my favorite was the guy who walked in, no car, no lights, no nothing, wearing this electric blue hunter's vest with wires all over it, and these medieval tights with what Harry called a codpiece with snow and some kind of sticky goop all over his vest and in his hair, shivering like it was the Arctic out there, when it was the middle of July. He would some kind of little animal crawling around under that vest, but he wouldn't let me get a look at it. From the shape of the bulge it made, it might have been a weasel or something. He had the strangest damn accent you ever heard, but he acted right at home, 
and ordered without looking at the menu. Harry admitted, when I'd been there a while, that he figured anyone else would mess things up for him somehow. I might have thought I was going nuts, or I might have called the cops, or I might have spread a lot of strange stories around, but I didn't, and Harry appreciated that. Hey, that was easy. If these people didn't bother Harry, I figured, why should they bother me? And it wasn't anybody else's business, either. When people asked, I used to tell them that, sure, we got weirdos in the place late at night. But I never said just how weird. I never got as cool about it as Harry was. I mean, a flying saucer in the parking lot wouldn't make Harry blink. I blinked when we got him. We did, but not very often. And I had to really work not to stare at them. Most of the customers had more sense. If they came in something strange, they hid in the woods or something. But there were always a few who couldn't be bothered. If any state cops ever cruised past there and saw those things, I guess they didn't dare report them. No one would have believed them anyway. I asked Harry once if all these guys came from the same place. Damned if I know, he said. He'd never asked, and he didn't want me to either. Except he was wrong about thinking that would scare them away. Sometimes you can tell when someone wants to talk, and some of these people did. So I talked to them. I was 17 by the time someone told me what was really going on, though. Before you ask any stupid questions, no, they weren't any of the Martians or monsters from outer space or anything like that. Some of them were from West Virginia, in fact. Just not our West Virginia. Lots of different West Virginias instead. What the science fiction writers call parallel worlds. That's one name, anyway. Other dimensions, alternate realities, did lots of different names for it. It all makes sense, really. A couple of them explained it to me. See, everything that ever could possibly have happened in the entire history of the universe, right from the Big Bang up until now, did happen somewhere. And every possible difference means a different universe. Not just if Napoleon lost at Waterloo, or won, or whatever he didn't do here. What does Napoleon matter to the universe anyway? Beetlejuice doesn't give a flying damn for all of Europe, past, present, or future. But every single atom or particle or whatever, whatever had a chance to do something, break up or stay together, or move one direction instead of another, whatever, it did all of them, but all in different universes. They didn't branch off either. All the universes were always there. There just wasn't any difference between them until this particular event came along. And that means there are millions and millions of identical universes too, where the differences haven't happened yet. But there's one thing about it. With an infinite number of universes, I mean really infinite, how can you find just one? Particularly the first time out. Fact is, you can't. It's just not possible. So the explorers go out, but they don't come back. Maybe if some did come back, they could look at what they did and where it took them and figure out how to measure and aim and all that. But so far as any of the ones I've talked to know, nobody's ever done it. When you go out, that's it. You're out there. You can go hopping from one world to the next, or you can settle down in one forever. But like the books say, you really can't go home again. You can get close, maybe. One way I found out a lot of this was in exchange for telling this poor old geezer a lot about the world outside Harry's. He's pretty happy about it when I was talking about what I'd seen on TV and naming all the presidents I could think of. But then he asked me something about some religion I'd never heard of that he said he belonged to. So there are millions of these people out there, drifting from world to world, looking for whatever they're looking for, 
sometimes millions of them identical to each other, too. And they run into each other. They know what to look for, see? So they trade information, and some of them tell me they're working on figuring out how to really navigate whatever it is they do. And they figured out some of it already, so they can steer a little. I wondered out loud once why so many of them turn up at Harry's. And this woman with blue-gray skin, some kind of medication, she told me, tried to explain it. West Virginia is one of the best places to travel between worlds, particularly up in the mountains around Sutton, because it's a pretty central location for eastern North America. But there isn't anything there. I mean, there aren't any big cities or big military bases or anything. So that if there's an atomic war or something, and apparently there have been a lot of atomic wars, or wars with even worse weapons in different worlds, nobody's very likely to heave any missiles at Sutton, West Virginia. Even in the realities where the Europeans never found America, and it's the Chinese or somebody building the cities, there just isn't any reason to build anything near Sutton. And there's something that makes it an easy place to travel between worlds, too. I didn't follow the explanation. She said something about the Earth's magnetic field. The mountains and the forest make it easy to hide, which is why it's better than out in the desert someplace. Anyway, right around Sutton, it's pretty safe and easy to travel between worlds, so lots of people do. The strange thing, though, is that for some reason that nobody really seemed very clear on, Harry's, or something like it, is in just about the same place in millions of different realities. More than millions. Infinities, really. It's not always exactly Harry's all-night hamburgers. One customer kept calling Harry Sal, for instance. It's there, though, or something like it. And one thing that doesn't seem to change much is that travelers can eat there without causing trouble. Word gets around that Harry's is a nice, quiet place with decent burgers, where nobody's going to hassle them about anything. And they can pay in gold or silver if they haven't got the local money, or in trade goods or whatever they've got that Harry can use. It's easy to find, because it's in lots of universes, relatively. As I said, this little area isn't one that varies a whole lot from universe to universe, unless you start moving long distances. That's a weird thought, you know, that every time I served someone a burger... A zillion of me were serving burgers to a zillion others. Not all of them the same, either. So they come to Harry's to eat, and they trade information with each other there, or in the parking lot, and they take a break from whatever they're doing. They came there, and they talked to me about all those other universes, and I was 17 years old, man. It was like those Navy recruiting ads on TV. See the world. Except it was see the worlds. All of them, not just one. I listened to everything those guys said. I heard them talk about the world where Zeppelin strafed Cincinnati in a third world war. About places where the dinosaurs never died out and mammals never evolved any higher than rats. About cities built of colored glass or dug miles in the ground. About worlds where all the men were dead or all the women or both from biological warfare. Any story you ever heard, anything you ever read, those guys could top it. Worlds where speaking aloud could get the death penalty. Not what you said, just saying anything out loud. Worlds with spaceships fighting a war against Arcturus. Beautiful women, strange places, everything you could ever want out there somewhere. But it might take forever to find it. I listened to those stories for months. I graduated from high school, but there wasn't any way I could go to college. So I just stayed on with Harry. It paid enough to live on anyway. I talked to those people from other worlds even got inside some of their ships, or time machines, or whatever you want to call them. 
and I thought about how great it would be to just go roaming from world to world. Anytime you don't like the way things are going, just pop, and the whole world is different. I could be a white god to Indians in a world where the Europeans and Asians never reached America, I figured. Or I'd find a world where machines do all the work, and people just relax and party. When my 18th birthday came and went, without any sign I'd ever get out of West Virginia, I began to really think about it, you know? I started asking customers about it. A lot of them told me not to be stupid. A lot just wouldn't talk about it. Some, though, some of them thought it was a great idea. There was one guy this one night. Well, first it was September, but it was still hot as the middle of summer, even in the middle of the night. Most of my friends were gone. They'd gone off to college or gotten jobs somewhere or gotten married, or maybe two out of three. My dad was drinking a lot. The other kids were back in school. I'd started sleeping days from 8 in the morning until about 4 p.m., instead of evenings. Harry's air conditioner was busted, and I really wanted to just leave it all behind and go find myself a better world. So when I heard these two guys talking at one table about whether one of them had extra room in his machine, I sort of listened when I could, when I wasn't fetching burgers and Cokes. Now one of these two I'd seen before, he had been coming in every so often ever since I started working at Harry's. He looked like an ordinary guy, but he came in about three in the morning, and talk to the weirdos like they were all old buddies. So I figure he had to be from some other world originally himself, even if he stayed put in ours now. He'd come in about every night for a week or two, then disappear for months, then start turning up again, and I had sort of wondered whether he might have licked the navigation problem all those other people had talked about. But then I figured probably not. Either he'd stopped jumping from one world to the next, or else it was just a bunch of parallel people coming in, and it probably wasn't even the same guy at all, really. Usually, when that happened, we'd get two or three at a time, looking like identical twins or something. But there's only just one of this guy, every time. So I figured, like I said, either he hadn't been changing worlds at all, or he'd licked the navigation problem all those other people had talked about. I figured this was my chance, so when I brought the burgers, I said something real polite like, Excuse me, sir, but I couldn't help overhearing. Do you think you'd have room for a passenger? The big guy laughed and said, Sure, kid. I was just telling Joe here that I could haul him and all his freight, and there'd be room for you too, if you can make it worth my trouble. I said, I've got money. I've been saving up. What'll it take? The big guy gave me a big grin again, but before he could say anything, Joe interrupted. Sid, he said, could you excuse me for a minute? I want to talk to this young fellow for a minute before he makes a big mistake. The big guy, Sid, said, Sure, sure, I don't mind. So Joe got up and he yelled to Harry, Okay if I borrow your counterman for a few minutes? Harry yelled back that it was okay. I didn't know what the hell was going on, but I went along and the two of us went out to this guy's car to talk. And it really was a car, too. An old Ford van. It's customized with velvet and bubble windows and stuff, and there's a lot of stuff piled in the back. Camping gear and clothes and things, but no sign of machinery or anything. I still wasn't sure, you know, because some of these guys did a really good job of disguising their ships, or time machines, or whatever, but it sure looked like an ordinary van. And that's what Joe said it was. He got into the driver's seat, and I got into the passenger seat, and we swiveled around to face each other. So, he said, do you know who all these people are? I mean, people like Sid? Sure, I said. They're from other dimensions, parallel worlds, and like that. 
He leaned back and looked at me hard and said, You know that, huh? Did you know that none of them can ever get home? Yes, I knew that, I told him, acting pretty cocky. And you still want to go with Sid to other universes? Even when you know you'll never come home to this universe again? That's right, mister, I told him. I'm sick of this one. I don't have anything here but a nothing job in a diner. I want to see some of the stuff these people talk about, instead of just hearing about it. You want to see Wonders and Marvels, huh? Yes. Well, that was just exactly what I wanted. Better than I could have said it myself. Yes, I said. You got it, mister. You lived here all your life? You mean this world? Of course I have. No, I mean here, in Sutton. You lived here all your life? Well, yeah, I admitted. Just about. He sat forward and put his hands together, and his voice got intense, like he wanted to impress me with how serious he was. Kid, he said, I don't blame you a bit for wanting something different. I sure as hell wouldn't want to spend my entire life in these hills. But you're going about it the wrong way. You don't want to hitch with Sid. Oh yeah, I said, why not? Am I supposed to build my own machine? Hell, I can't even fix my mother's carburetor. No, that's not what I meant. But kid... You can see those buildings a thousand feet high in New York or in Chicago. You've got oceans here in your own world as good as anything you'll find anywhere. You've got the mountains and the seas and the prairies and all the rest of it. I've been in your world for eight years now, checking back here at Harry's every so often to see if anyone's figured out how to steer in no space and get me home. And it's one hell of a big interesting place. But, I said, what about the spaceships and... He interrupted me and said, You want to see spaceships? You go to Florida and watch a shuttle launch. Man, that's a spaceship. It may not go to other worlds, but that is a spaceship. You want strange animals? You go to Australia or Brazil. You want some strange people? Go to New York or Los Angeles or almost anywhere. You want a city carved out of a mountaintop? It's called Machu Picchu in Peru, I think. You want ancient mysterious ruins? They're all over Greece, and Italy, and North Africa. Strange temples? Visit India. There are supposed to be over a thousand temples in Benares alone. See Angkor Wat, or the pyramids. Not just the Egyptian ones, but the Mayan ones too. And the great thing about all these places, kid, is that afterwards, if you want, you can come home. You don't have to, but you can. Who knows, you might get homesick someday. Most people do. I did. I wish to hell I'd seen more of my own world before I volunteered to try any others. I kind of stared at him for a while. I don't know, I said. I mean, it seems so easy to just hop in Sid's machine and be gone forever, I thought. But New York was 500 miles away. And then I realized how stupid that was. Hey, he said. Don't forget, if you decide I was wrong... You can always come back to Harry's and bum a ride with someone. It won't be Sid. He'll be gone forever. But you'll find someone. Most world hoppers are lonely, kid. They've left behind everyone they ever knew. You won't have any trouble getting a lift. Well, that decided it. Because, you know, he was obviously right about that. As soon as I thought about it, I told him so. Well, good, he said. Now you go and pack your stuff and apologize to Harry and all that. And I'll give you a lift to Pittsburgh. You've got money to travel from there, right? Those idiots still haven't figured out how to steer, so I'm going back home. Not my real home, 
but where I live in your world, and I wouldn't mind a passenger. And he smiled at me, and I smiled back. And we had to wait until the bank opened the next morning, but he didn't really mind. All the way to Pittsburgh, he was singing these hymns and war songs from his homeworld, where there was a second civil war in the 1920s because of some fundamentalist preacher trying to overthrow the Constitution and set up a church government. He hadn't had anyone he could sing them to in years, he said. So, that was what got me started traveling. What brings you to Benares? Been seeing a lot of articles the past couple years trying to outline why Generation Y, of which I and I imagine a sizable portion of our audience fall into, are unhappy. Most of them seem to make points that happiness is reality minus expectations. And since Gen Y is a generation with high expectations, living in, in many ways, a crummy reality, it's to be expected that we have meandering, dissatisfied, hopelessly ambitious, but secretly self-loathing 20 and 30-somethings working the late shift at some hamburger joint while waiting around for that inevitable ride out into the omniverse, to the reality where they are president. I don't agree with everything in these articles, but I do find the reality-slash-expectations-happiness ratio interesting, especially when science fiction can add multiple realities into the mix. It's one of the cool things about this story, how the mind-blowing addition of all these crazy different realities and places doesn't actually make the issue any more problematic or complex, as you might expect. It's tweaking the expectations side of the equation that helps our protagonist out. And before you know it, he's on his way to lovely Pittsburgh. I'm from Baltimore. They'd find me or throw me out or something if I didn't say that with sarcasm. Go Ravens. Anyways, don't worry. Nobody else your age has any idea what they're doing either. No matter what age you are. Hold and enjoy the things in reach because it's the holding and enjoying part that makes us happy, not the reaching part. Let's go now to episode feedback with Escape Pod's assistant editor, Nathan Lee. Take it away, Nathan. Greetings and salutations, Escapodians. Assistant editor Nathan here with the feedback for episode 408 and 409, respectively, Immersion by Aliette Bedard and Mantis Wives by Kids Johnson. Immersion was a story about intergalactic travel and culture, specifically about dominant cultural narratives, their strengths, their weaknesses, and their pitfalls, a story which managed to have sympathy and condemnation for both the struggling, resentful local culture and the big, brash, dumb Americans in their patriotic jumpsuits. Reaction was depressingly mixed, with most people saying they found the sociopolitics of the story uninteresting and were mostly focused on the tech toys. Because we're doing a twofer, here's just wind-up to speak for the trees as opposed to the forest. This story worked well for me. I went through both the ooh, cool, and hey, wait a minute responses to the idea of immersor technology, which I guess was part of the point. You know that if the pseudo-acculturation permitted by the immersors ever became that easy and cheap, only a tiny handful of people would ever get to the point of genuinely experiencing another culture, and they'd be considered odd. I also like seeing the impact of a dominant culture on others, From the point of view of those others, it's a point of view that my real life makes it all too easy to ignore, and if I don't think about it, stories like this make me think about it. As to the love-hate relationship with tourists, I once asked a Hawaiian friend what made the difference between good and bad tourist behavior. He said, Just keep in mind that we don't exist just so that you can have a nice vacation. 
Good advice, I think. Mantis Wives was a scintillant gem of a story from the ever-amazing Kids Johnson. I would normally threaten to steal her story mojo, but frankly, I don't think I'd know what to do with it if I managed to snag it. She is an inspiration, and she's one of my favorite authors of all time. The forums, unfortunately, hate her, especially when she gets nommed for a Hugo. This story was no exception. I gotta ask, Max, what did us English majors ever do to you? Were you mauled by a post-Marxist deconstructionist text as a child or something? Anyway, here's Fire Turtle's somewhat dizzy take on things. I both loved and hated it, sometimes simultaneously. I thought I was getting a trip on a regular path, and instead I was on a piece of flotsam on a river and just had to hang on for the ride. It was an interesting ride, and beautiful in its own weird way. In evaluating its value as a piece of narrative science fiction, the best I can say is that it was interesting, and it definitely made me look at a narrative with fresh eyes. I will not take plot for granted. I will not take plot for granted. I will not take plot for granted. That's all we have for this week. Join us next week for the feedback for episode 410, Nutshell, whose title, I just realized, contains an eye-rolling pun. See you then! Thanks, Nathan. Alright, folks, that's our show. Remember, Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and it's brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. If you enjoyed this week's story, send a donation our way via the links off our website, escapepod.org. As you know, we rely on the support of listeners such as yourself to pay authors and keep this ship afloat week to week. Our opening and closing music is used by monster surf rock band Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.com. And our closing quotation this week comes from Marcel Prue, who said, The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Mm-hmm.